Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Bets are amazing, 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 amazing. There's a fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones, the Mets of the world champion. Here's the one, two, three. Strike him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, January the 14th. 
2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsmorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. A new uh, contributor to the show today. In just a bit, you'll hear my conversation with a contributor over at MetsmorizedOnline.com. Also, he can be found at the Sporting News as well as the Athletic John Edwards. John has had a lot to say about the Mets over the last couple of weeks. We wrote a great piece over at MMO about uh, the Mets and analytics and, and recent acquisitions, of course, uh, which include Jed Lowry, which was just completed the other day. So Jed Lowry is the main topic, the latest edition, and we'll hear from uh, both Jed Lowry and the Mets Brass on Wednesday at City Field. But I figured I'd come with you today and chat a little bit, and before we get to the John Edwards piece, give you kind of a state of where the Mets are this offseason. And, and look, again, I'd start off the offseason by saying you can build a team a couple of ways. Uh, you can build a team with the intention of winning the offseason and winning headlines. And, you know, certainly those players are good players, you know, like Machado, like Harper. And they will make your team better. There's no doubt about it. But there's also ramifications about what the financial commitment to those players means for the rest of your payroll, for the rest of your team. And if the math is correct, right now, on January 14th, the Mets are at about $155 million in payroll, uh, about another $5 million or so teams budget in for, you know, up and down, minor leaguers, league minimum, things like that. So you've got about $160 million payroll. I also read, and again, I don't have the exact numbers. I don't think any of us have the exact numbers, that the Mets payrolls uh, for uh, luxury tax purposes at about $175 million, which is about $35 million to the uh, luxury tax, a number that the Mets are just not going to want to touch. So it remains to be seen if this is it. If it is, uh, here's where I think they're at. Uh, Lowry provides them a, a very solid hitter. Uh, the key uh, with Lowry is I think the years he's played every day, years he's played 150-plus games, mainly with Oakland. He's been a very productive hitter. You're looking at a guy who has a very solid on-base percentage, can hit you 15 to 20 home runs. He's able to drive in runs. He could play multiple positions. He could play short. He could play third. He could play uh, second. It looks like shortstop. It's been a couple of years since he played it, but uh, I don't think that's going to be his primary spot, but he could, he could go in there in a pinch and – he can't be any worse than some of the other options that are on the roster right now, I mean, that are not experienced at shortstop. But, um, you know, this is the kind of player that I think the Mets were lacking, and it's the kind of player that teams that were in the playoffs uh, were able to uh, run out there. I mean, versatility is a big part of the game today. Uh, I would talk to a scout who I know who, who likes every really every one of the Mets' moves over the last week. I, I spoke to him, and I, and I asked him, I said, you know, tell me a little bit about these players. And, and he really reiterated a lot of the points that I think have been out there. I mean, with Broxton, he loves the power, a lot of swing and misses. Um, thinks he's a backup. Not sure if things are going to click for him, but if you're looking for Ligaris or more pop, that's the guy you got. He found J.D. Davis to be interesting. If he And this is where I'm going. If he plays consistently, you might have something. He's going to be a power guy uh, with a lower average uh, that he thinks he could play adequate decent defense. Um, and then, of course, there's Lowry. And the big thing he said about all these guys, and he threw McNeil into the equation, is that 
how will they perform when they're not going to be playing every day? And I think that's the biggest key here when um, when all is said and done is, you know, when Lowry's played every day, he's played well. Can Broxton be the 20 home run, 20 steal guy in, you know, 350 to 400 at-bats? You know, J.D. Davis, uh, you know, eventually Peter Alonzo, who might not play every day either. You know, is he going to play the corners or maybe even the corner outfield? And can he live with getting maybe 250 to 300 at-bats? And will, will that impact his performance? I felt at times Wilmer Flores was impacted when he didn't play consistently from an offensive standpoint. So all these moves for versatility have put the Mets in a position where, in the past, a guy like T.J. Rivera, who I like, by the way, um, used to be your backup option. Now you really have to have an injury to get to the T.J. Rivera type of player. Those guys are going to have to fight uh, for a roster spot. Gavin Cicchini, uh, you know, Dom Smith. I think that as far as depth, those guys, when they're not 1A or, or B, um, I feel like they're better in those spots. Luis Guillerme, the same thing. I don't mind any of these guys. I mean, Gregor Blanco and Rajay Davis, who have been at times pretty solid big leaguers, might not have a spot on this roster. If they're going to stay in the organization, they may have to go down to Syracuse for a couple of months with an opt-out. So uh, there's a lot to be excited about, about depth. Of course, the Mets have not, I think, made any moves, unless you want to count the Cano-Edwin Diaz uh, situation, that trade, that were going to be you know, headline-type moves. But that doesn't mean they're not a better club. I think they made solid moves uh, with some of the parts fits. And really, it's going to be a matter of health and that starting pitching, which, uh, as you saw, that starting pitching is going to become expensive. It started to become expensive already with the arbitration, not just the you know before that the Grom sign. You got guys like Syndergaard and Mats getting big raises, Wheeler as well. You know, if they resign Wheeler or any of these guys to extensions, they're going to cost some. And that's where you want your payroll to go, first and foremost, going forward. That's why you got to be careful about signing an AJ Pollock. That's why you got to be careful about when you give out eight to 10 year deals to guys like Machado and Harper. You've got to make sure that those contracts don't suck up your available uh, capital that, 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 that's out there, or else, you know, you're basically going to have a team. Built on one player, marketed on one player. This is the NBA. That's not going to work in uh, MLB. So, you know, I, I I know what a lot of fans would say. I'd rather have Pollock than, than have Lowry. And look, if the Mets do go out and spend on Pollock, I'm not going to complain. But if they do have remaining uh, payroll flexibility, I personally would go out and try to sign into the starting pitcher. I know Derek Holland was re-signed by San Francisco. I would have liked him at $7 million a year, which San Francisco got him. Uh, Gio Gonzalez is still out there. I'm thinking that he's going to be north of that. I don't know how many of these guys would go to shorter one-year plus an option deals. I mean, you saw Yasmani Grandel, and I know he's a catcher, how he signed a deal with the Milwaukee that it was a one-year deal, essentially, with an opt-out to reestablish almost with that pillow contract for his value. Wonder, you know, do you look at it differently? Could the Mets have waited out the musical chairs on the catching situation? That's a tough call because you don't want to get stuck without a chair. That's that's really why they, they jumped at Ramos, who I think is a good signing. But when you dive into it, Grendel provided some things defensively that maybe Ramos won't. But the point is, is there a pitcher out there, the equivalent of Grendel in the catching market, that the Mets can snag late here to add depth to their rotation, maybe get uh, you know six deep, you know possibly make Vargas like a swingman, 
type. Because right now, if you look at the depth and the rotation, that's where you get a little concerned if they're done. And I guess we'll find out more over on uh, Wednesday at City Field. But uh, Gayan, Gayan, is it? Gayan, Drew Gayan. I'm trying to remember how to pronounce his name. Uh, Corey Oswald, Chris Flexen, Walter Lockett. Uh, you know, if you want to throw Conlin in the mix or Zach Lee. Uh, I mean, this, you know, you fall off pretty quick. You know, Oswald's probably the best non-Vargas-type uh, uh, player here if you don't want to count guys like Seth Lugo as possible replacements in the rotation. You know, Hector Santiago, of course, is there too. I don't look at him as a long-term rotation option. I think he's a spot starter here and there, more of a reliever. So, anyway, a lot to get to. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we return, John Edwards, a contributor over at Metsmorized Online, also at The Athletic, as well as Sporting News. We'll hear from him. We'll get his thoughts on this, on a bunch of other topics, including uh, the recent moves that uh, the Mets made. We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast right after this. Time now for a veteran to start getting a little respect at number two. Not a new guy, Jed Lowry off his outstanding season with the Oakland A's. Lowry just inked a two-year deal with the Mets, and by all reports, is expected to play on an everyday basis at potentially every infield position. It could play out a number of ways, but for the purpose of this exercise, we keep him at second base. Lowry really came into his own last year, helping power Oakland to their stunning season, finishing with a wild-card berth. He was in his age 34 season and finished with his second straight season of outstanding production. 157 games with a 120 OPS plus. Again, 100 is league average. This is a great story. Lowry has been with the Red Sox, the Astros, two tours with Oakland before landing with the Mets. But only now in his mid-30s has he become an all-star. Over the last two years, he is tied for third in weighted runs created plus and fourth in war among all second basemen. Beyond that, the process stat, ex-WOBA, which measures quality of contact, has him second at the position. So Lowry is at number two and now breaking through. Again, this is an older guy, but it's yeah. second straight year. Now you can believe, at least I can, I can believe in Jed Lowry that he can continue this. Well, he played great. He had a fantastic season. I remember fighting for him for the All-Star game. Mm -hmm. This guy needs yep. to be in the All-Star game. And, and you know the other thing I like about it? The A's were better because of him. We're back and joining us uh, first time on the show uh, over at Mitzmarized Online. He also has work over at the Sporting News and the Athletic. It's John Edwards. You can check out John on Twitter at John underscore Edwards underscore. And he also has a website, JohnEdwardsStats.com. John, pleasure to have you on. About a month towards spring training, so uh, the offseason's flying by. How you doing, my friend? Doing all right. Uh, yeah, really, really looking forward to the off season coming to a quick end. Hopefully, so we can get some baseball back in town. What's interesting is that uh, you know the off season brings sometimes more dialogue and and good content than during the regular season because of the trades and the activities and the speculation. And I, I'm curious how you look at the Mets off season because you've had a couple of recent pieces over at Metsmarized Online. One that really outlines some of the areas where the Mets are deficient with analytics and how that may hurt them when they deal with teams like the recent deals they made with Milwaukee and Houston. And you also wrote a more bullish piece on how the Mets are constructing their roster this offseason. It's, it's, there hasn't been a lot of sexy moves uh, for the Mets, but um, in general, I feel they've improved the roster. 
Uh, what are your thoughts? No, yeah, I think it's it's indisputable that they've improved the roster. I think you go out and you get Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz, who are two of the best players at their respective positions, as your opening move of the offseason. You're definitely going to be improving the roster. That having been said, I think that the Mets have kind of operated a little bit more cautiously with their moves in after the Cano-Diaz trade. They haven't quite been as, as swashbuckling as I think they were with the initial Cano-Diaz trade. Um, I think that the J.D. Davis trade, the Keon Broxton trades kind of represented trying to find, like, scrape out some value as opposed to actually going out and, you know, signing some signing some free agent players who I think might provide equivalent or better value. But there's still improvements nevertheless. Um, so I think, yeah, this is definitely a better team on paper than I think that the Mets were coming into uh, – 2018, when they were starting Jay Bruce and Wright, and they were starting Adrian Gonzalez at first, which was just absolutely mind-boggling that they thought that was going to be a good idea. Um, so I think this is an improved team. I don't think it's as improved of a team as I think they could have made it if they had been willing to spend a little bit more cash or be a little bit smarter about their trades, but it's a better team. Absolutely. John Edwards joining us here at Metsmerized Online. It seems from the fan base that unless they go out and they sign a Harper or a Machado, it seems like they'll be left wanting, at least a large portion of the fan base. And mm-hmm. there's no doubt both of those guys are good, play- very good players, and they're going to make any team better. Uh, what I do see, and, and, you know, look, rumors are rumors. You know, the Dodgers would be you know, very happy to have Bryce Harper, but they don't want to have him on a 10-year deal. Um, the Yankees could have had Machado 72 times over, uh, and they've held back. Now, there's, a, you know, there's some speculation about – I don't want to say collusion, but how they're managing their money. Uh, do you feel, you know, especially at the higher end with those two guys, that teams are starting to question, and this goes back into evaluation and the analytics that they use, that especially with a 10-year deal, a decade's worth of commitment, uh, that it's just not something unless it's the perfect fit, the perfect player that teams are willing to do. And in that case, I really don't blame the Mets for not swimming in that, I guess, atmosphere. Well, I I would tend to disagree because I think that these are the kinds of players who absolutely deserve the ten-year deal. You see a lot of players, a lot of teams who are reluctant to give out contracts for players past, say, their age 35 season. There's a lot of research which says that players tend to decline. Players are essentially in decline um, after around age 30, uh, as as a rule of thumb. But that decline tends to speed up around past age 35. So if you were to go out and you were to go get Machado or Harper, both of whom are, I believe, uh, age 26, you're only going to, on a 10-year deal, then you're only going to be paying for one year of that past age 35 season. So you're not exactly taking on a lot of risk, especially considering that these guys are some of the best players in the league. I think that they have consistently proven that they can – I mean, even uh, – like. Bryce Harper gets a lot of criticism because he hasn't really lived up to the expectations of his, his superb 2015 season. And he's, he's been a very, very good outfielder, but he hasn't been like quite as good as he ever has been since that 2015 season. But he's still been, like at worst, an all-star qual- caliber outfielder. Manny Machado also has been steadily improving, and he's probably one of the best defenders in the league. He is one of the best bats in the league. He's the type of guy you'd want playing shortstop for the next 10 years. So I think that, you know... You can I can see teams being very cautious about you know handing out very large deals, but I think that these are the kinds of people who deserve those large kinds of deals, and I think that the Mets should be on them, 
in on them. I think that uh, every other team should be in on them, and I think that it's a little absurd that they haven't signed yet. Uh, that's just my opinion. No, and look, uh, this is burgeoning, uh, the new CBA coming up in a few years. Again, mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's collusion, but there's a lot of players, and I know we're still a month away. There's a lot of players that are still sitting around. You know, Gio Gonzalez comes out, and, you know, to mine that normally you would think have been signed already. Now, the last time I saw this was probably post-banking collapse, 2008, when teams got really conservative. And there was the collusion word floating around a little bit. But then it opened up a little bit. Really makes you wonder, is there something going on where the owners are either, A, trying to depress payroll, which is very possible. Historically, that's mm-hmm. been the case. Or economically, is there a bubble that may burst, whether it be cable or something else, or the attendance stagnation that are giving owners pause to say, you know, will my revenues support these longer-term contracts in three, four, or five years. It's, it's something I've been starting to think about because there's always a causation for this behavior, and I don't think it's always just uh, nefarious, I guess is the word I would say. Yeah, well, I mean, you do have to look at historical context because MLB owners have been caught colluding to lower MLB salaries before. Back in 1990, they were con- they, uh, a court ruled that they had colluded to um, intentionally lower major league salaries and were asked to pay out, I think, $300 million to affected players as a result of intentionally lowering major league salaries from 1985 to 1987. So I I don't want to rule out, I don't want to say that, you know, a lot of people are willing to say, you know, teams are just being smarter, teams are just being more conservative, teams are treating the luxury cap like it's a, uh, the luxury tax cap like it's a hard hard cap. And I I don't necessarily think you can say, that's 100% the case. I think that, you know, uh, we're giving a lot of credit to some people who have not exactly behaved in ways that say that we should give them that credit. But then again, this is all just yeah, speculation here. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's certainly a debate, and I think it's going to be a com- uh, conversation that will go on uh, over the next couple of years. And, and if we have guys in March that are, I mean, uh, uh, let's say a Bryce Harper or a Machado, uh, which I doubt, but some – solid players still sitting out there. You may have more dialogue about that. I mean, it was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Brody Van Wagenen brought it up last year when he w- was an agent. Uh, uh, Yasmani Grandel signed a one-year deal. Maybe he's uh, somewhat of a poster child of how the musical chair situation with free agency comes into play. Maybe there's less chairs now. Uh, Mets jumped on Ramos, a solid player. Uh, he wouldn't have been my first choice. I'm not upset about that move, but now that you see Grandal this week, Sign the one-year deal. Uh, for the first time this year, even in the mainstream media, you've seen more of an emphasis on uh, secondary statistics for players, defensive statistics, things for catchers mm-hmm. like framing and what have you. Now that you see what Grandal got from the Brewers, and look, it's possible that the risk for the Mets was pass on Ramos. He signed somewhere else for the same two-year deal. Now Grandel, uh, it becomes more competitive for his services. And now you've got the Martin Maldonado crowd, which I like Maldonado, but there's obviously a drop-off offensively despite how good defensively he can be. So that Mm -hmm. deal with Milwaukee, does that make you feel a little bit differently about how quickly the Mets pounced on Ramos, I guess, oh, about a month ago? I'm not 100% sure how to feel about the Grendel Mets situation because I remember the figure that was thrown out was, was what, four years, 60 million. Um, And then I remember a lot of people were were harping on – Grandal because he rejected the Mets. He reportedly rejected the Mets' offer. I think that's a little nebulous of a statement to make, but I think that's about 
somewhat along the lines of what happened. Um, and he also rejected the Dodgers' qualifying offer for, which was just uh, about five hundred thousand dollars less than what he actually got from the Brewers. So it's you know people are saying oh he played himself. He had a deal on the table that was worth kind of what he should have been looking for and whatnot. Um, but yeah, you mentioned how mainstream media is starting to talk a bit more about secondary statistics. And Yasmani Grandal has historically been one of the best pitch framers in all of Major League Baseball. Um, it's he, on general in general he's going to add around two to three wins worth of pitch framing. And for for the readers who haven't um, read some of my articles and mesmerized online about uh, pitch framing, pitch framing is effectively stealing strikes as a catcher. So if a pitcher throws a ball outside of the strike zone, you take your glove and you try to fool the umpire into thinking that it's a strike. And Yasmani Grandal has been superb at this. Um, and this is a skill that teams have not really paid for. This has been a skill that teams have just kind of ignored in terms of evaluating free agents and in terms of evaluating players in arbitration because they've, no one really talks about it. No one really thinks about it. Um, the example I'll cite is in 2013, I believe, uh, the Pirates signed Russell Martin to a two-year deal. And Martin was not getting a lot of, of traction on the free agency market because he was coming off a pretty bad season. But the Pirates saw that Martin was one of the best players in the league at pitch framing. And they realized that they could afford to outbid all the other teams uh, on him, even though they didn't have a lot of money to spend, just because they knew that they were going to get a lot more value out of him than any of the teams might have been able to see. So they went ahead and it turned out to be a superb free agent signing. Um, the, catcher, uh, the, the pitcher ERAs for the Pirates lowered by a great deal. And the Pirates basically got that for free. So Grandal is, is probably better at pitch framing than Martin was at that time. And, you know, saying, oh, he's worth $18 million a year, or he's worth, oh, $15 million a year, and he should have taken that when he had the chance, um, is a little disingenuous because Martin, or because Grandal, who is also one of the better hitting catchers in the league, um, he hit about as well by um, baseball perspectives as deserved run stats uh, as, say, Ramos or JT Realmuto. Saying that Grandal, who is probably the best catcher in the major leagues right now, deserved just $15 million when, you know, looking at in terms of the value he provides, it's probably a lot more. You know, I, I do feel bad for the guy because I feel like he was absolutely within his rights to reject those offers, and I feel kind of bad that he had to settle for something that's a lot less than what he's really worth. So those are kind of my feelings on Grandal. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Do you feel the data on things like pitch framing – uh, are, are solid enough to take it seriously where it's 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 up there with other traditional stats. And the reason I bring that up is there's some debate, not, and obviously we don't have access to proprietary advanced analytics that any of yes. the teams have. They're not going on fan graphs. And if they are, you know, nothing against fan graphs, that's not, you know, that's, that's not playing in the same ballpark as your competitors. Um, so mm -hmm. there's always debate about UZR, UZR150, about defense. And, 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 you know, it's obviously there's someone sitting – and evaluating, well, that should have been a play that so-and-so should make that you and I can do watching the same game, and we could debate that, you know, until the cows come home. There's certain plays that are obvious. There's certain that are not. Are you confident yeah. that some of those advanced metrics when it comes to evaluating the intangibles like pitch framing, um, which bring a different light to the old catch-and-throw catcher? In the old days, the catch-and-throw catcher was a guy who would throw up, uh, you know, 40% of runners. Um, you wouldn't care about that. And that's what you value. Yeah. yeah, that's what you value. And now, you know, the old uh, adage is that, look, it's as much the pitcher. You, know, you could have the best arm in the world with Noah Syndergaard on the mound. Until he learns to hold runners on, you're going to have a hell of a time throwing people out. So how confident are you in those metrics uh, as far as where they've come, I guess, over the last uh, decade? 
Yeah, so I'd say as far as um, as far as looking at these metrics and kind of how they've developed, I'd say that public defense metrics are usually a little bit tricky to deal with because they tend to deal with a lot of noise. Um, I take a look at, for example, dessert, um, um, DRS, um, deserve run saves. No, defensive run save. That's what it's called. Uh, defensive run saved is uh, Baseball Info Solutions um, defensive metric, and it basically measures how many runs a player saves over the course of a season. UZR is a similar stat, and I think that's I might be getting my companies mixed up, but I think they're those are basically the two main public defense publicly available defensive metrics that we talk about, and they can both be kind of noisy. Um, Keon Broxton, for example, just to cite a Mets example. Played about two weeks uh, and hit something like 195 over his first two weeks of, of the 2018 season. In that time, he was worth nearly one and a half wins just because of DRS. DRS gave him a lot of credit for the for some defensive plays that he had made to the point where it said that he was worth about one and a half wins in about two weeks, which I think is a little absurd to really kind of – you step back and you look at it in context and you think there's no way that a player can be worth – that much value while providing that little value at the plate, even even just in the field, you can't do that. Um, I think that uh, the framing metrics are a lot better for the publicly available compared to like just other framing metrics. I think um, just because we can see how re- they're a bit more reliable from season to season, from team to team, um, moving forward. Because I think um, Yasmani Grandal, when he got traded from the Padres to the Dodgers, pitch framing metrics were largely the same. People say like you know oh pitch framing it's actually it has it could have something to do with the staff it's got something to do with the umpires it's got something to do with the park you could say you could say those things right but the fact remains that Yasmani Grandal with a completely different staff and a completely different environment was still just as effective as a pitch framer with the Padres as he was with the Dodgers so I think that just because of the fact that these stats are more reliable um, and don't quite have as much noise as say UZR and DRS I think pitch framing is is at least valuable and we're we're if we're not quite there with how major league teams evaluate it, we are asymptotically approaching how teams evaluate it, I think, a lot better than, say, DRS and UZR, which are kind of rough guesses. Yeah, uh, absolutely. John Edwards, Metsmerized Online, he's, he's got work over at the Sporting News and The Athletic. Uh, does great work over there, has some really interesting uh, content. You should check it out. Uh, you wrote a very lengthy piece about where the Mets are from an analytics standpoint, and this has been a discussion – I, I guess since the end of the season when Jeff Wilpon, uh, you know, had his end of the year conference and essentially threw it on Sandy Alderson about the size of the analytics department. Now they brought in Adam Gutridge, who's a, you know, he was an independent consultant to MLB teams. He's worked in the league before. He's got, I guess, a prospect model that he uses, and I'm sure the Mets are using now. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it goes back to, um, you know, two things. One, you have the size of departments, and and obviously these teams like the Astros. Uh, have pioneered this and taken Moneyball to a new level. And it's also the kind of people they have in these departments. And, I mean, at least in the case of the Mets, they've brought in some really sharp executives, Alan Baird. Uh, Gutridge obviously has a great uh, uh, background. You know, I, this is new to me. I have never really dived into the resumes of these type of guys. Uh, this is the first time. Obviously, Brody Van Wagen is trying to move the needle in the right direction. Um, mm-hmm. I guess you would say the Mets are in, you, you know, when you rank all 30 teams, would you put them in the bottom 20 to 30 at this point? Um, but do you see any positives uh, from just an outsider looking in or from what you've heard where maybe the needle's moving forward a bit with them? Yeah, so I think the Guthridge hire, I think, is 
is a good move. I think that you can probably I've seen some disagreement with the way that like just how the implementation of his prospect model works, but the fact remains that the Mets are at least going after some kind of analytic firepower for um for which is something that's kind of new for them. Um I remember Adam Fisher, who used to be a part of the Mets front office for a very long time. He's now a contributor for SNY, but he gave an interview on the Statcast podcast where he talked about the Mets analytics department and basically the Mets started out as one of the first analytics departments they had like a team of three and then just kind of stagnated and they kept the same people in the analytics department they didn't expand it any further and from a lot of external reports uh it basically sounded like they weren't really listening to it I mean uh Matt Ehal came out with a report that said that the Mets had signed Jay Bruce um and I think he implied that some of the other signings from the 2018 offseason as well um, had been done against the advice of the analytics department. I think we all know how that turned out. So, you know, and that's kind of need to... It, it, the point that I tried to make with my article is not necessarily that, you know, you can go ahead and you can put a bunch of people in the analytics department. You can try to play catch-up. Um, and that's what you should do. You should make sure that you have the resources available to you that you are going to be willing to... that you're going to be playing ball with the same at the same level as as big teams like the Yankees and um, the Astros. By the way, the Yankees actually just hired away one of the original guys from that three-team analytics department for the Mets. So uh, it's a <laughs> recent development that came after my article was released, which I found was a little bit funny. Um, but the fact remains that the team just has to be able to listen to their analytics department. The team has to be able. The team must value that information that they provide. They must make sure that this is a central part of their planning because when teams make it a central part of their planning, like the Yankees do, like the Astros do, like the Dodgers do, then you see results. And I think that the Mets have kind of gotten by on the basis of having some very, some very, very young talent. Um, they've drafted very well, I think, under – they drafted very well under Sandy Alderson. Um, but the fact remains that when it came to actually spending money, they did not really perform – they did not really do their due diligence, I think, in researching these players and signing Jay Bruce and Jason Vargas and Anthony Schwarzak to these kinds of contracts. So I think that's kind of why you have – that's why 2018 failed was because the Mets tried to compliment their offseason and they didn't listen to their department. Um, and I think that hopefully they're listening to their department, their analytics department, a little bit nicer, having been burned by that before. I think that if, uh, you know, going on getting Cano and Diaz, who are arguably two of the best players, is – you know, something that they can do that represents a tangible improvement. I think that, you know, maybe you're looking at J.D. Davis and Keon Broxton because, you know, there's some kind of model that inside of the Mets department that likes these guys. Um, but at the same time, I think that it's – the fact remains that the higher-ups, specifically the Wilpons, do not seem to value analytics a lot. And I think that needs to change. Mm-hmm. John Edwards, Metsmerized Online. Uh, you can check him out, John Edwards Stats, at his own website. Great stuff. Uh, when we look at the roster going forward, I think they're pretty much done. If Personally, if I were them, I would try to sign another starter. Two names that came up. Curious that you know what you think. But I think they could get rather inexpensively, and they may be able to, as the winter goes on, get them on a one-year deal, is Gio Gonzalez and Derek Holland. Um, they passed, mm-hmm. or they've pretty much been out on A.J. Pollock, and they went more with the Ligaris, Keon Broxton scenario. And I know Ligaris has been hurt. I'm intrigued, and, and again, I know a lot of the values of those guys on the defensive side, which you just talked about, but I'm a big up-the-middle defense. But even if they could be you know, Ligaris league average offensively, I think that's a really good tandem in center field. I know that may be asking a lot because he's only been that once. But I guess, are you comfortable 
let's say they don't go – two questions. One, would you go out, would you sign mm-hmm. one of those type of starters, maybe go six deep in the rotation? I know one guy is going to be not guaranteed to start, probably Vargas, and you're spending a lot of money for a guy who may not be able to come out of the bullpen, number one. And number two, are you comfortable with them more going the Jed Lowry route, focusing more on defense and center field, um, and you know maybe making McNeil this guy that kind of pops in there a little bit in the outfield? Uh, do you agree with that philosophy? Or do you think Pollock should have been the way to go? And, and I think Pollock, who I like, although comes with a ton of uh, risk and, and also the loss of a draft pick. Yeah, um, I think the answer to question number one is that I think that it probably would be wise to go out and get a another starter on a cheat deal. I don't think that the Mets would really be in on, say, uh, Gonzalez or Holland just because um, I think Mike Puma said that the Mets were kind of out on signing big names after the Lowry deal. So I don't know how much I don't know if we're going to see that or not. I get the feeling that they might try to find somebody on like a minor league deal if they can, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, I really think though that the Mets kind of have a lot of weirdly flexible starter reliever debt, and it's like you have to rob Peter of pay Paul with Seth Lugo and Robert Jesselman in the uh, in the Mets bullpen. Those guys can start; they can start. And I've actually talked about why Seth Lugo probably should be starting as opposed to. Um, pitching in the bullpen unless the Mets are like doing some weird uh, regime to manage his uh, partially torn UCL. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to want to stick those guys in the bullpen, and that seems to be what the plan is, then I think you'd probably want to get a sixth guy because I don't know who your starter depth is at this point, but it's probably someone like Corey Oswald. And I don't think Corey Oswald, even if you think you still have hopes for him as developing into a major league starter, he's probably still not at that point at yet. So getting someone who can start at the minor league, getting someone who can start as like six guy or somebody you can stash in, uh, in Syracuse, it's probably good. Um, and I think that the Mets are probably defensively, they probably have like very good outfield defense. So I think that Pollock represents defense plus a bat but I don't necessarily think that he represents as good defensive options as um, Ligaris and Broxton, just because he's, he's getting a little bit older, and I think his defensive metrics have been a little bit on the decline. They're not, like, awful, awful. They're still, like, very good defensive metrics for center field, but I just think that Broxton and Ligaris are a little bit younger, and I think that they um, represent a bit more defensively. Um, so I think that it's, it's a matter of, like, you know, do you want to go out and get – uh, go out and get um, Pollock, and then you'd probably have to offload Ligaris or something like that in order to afford him and to have a space for Pollock. And I don't really see the Mets doing that. I think that the Mets have kind of focused on, you know, we're going to do something with Ligaris and Broxson, and that's how it's going to work. And then you're also going to want to have to find Jeff McNeil some playing time, because I, I very much am on the Jeff McNeil train. Uh, I think he's going to be a great player. I think he's got the, I think he has the contact skills to really be one of the best contact hitters in the league. So I think um, you're kind of crowding up the outfield a little bit more. I think that the Mets are fine if they stand pat. I think that they should have made some more optimal trades, you know, or more optimal signings, like go get Bryce Harper, go get Manny Machado. But as it stands, I think that the Mets, you know, have a very good chance of um, making the division with, with the roster as it stands and probably probably playing for the wild card, which I think is the most likely scenario. So... This might be a hard one as we wrap up. Is there any of the uh, you know minor league signings, the Rhino Rourke's, the Archimedes Ar- Ar- uh, Caminero, the Zach Lees, you know guys that have you know at one point been highly touted maybe in their organization and now have fallen on the scrap heap that uh, stand out to you? Do you like anything that 
came out of some of those signings, which no one really pays attention to. But then sometime in June, July, they get brought up or they make the team and, and they become contributors. And you're like, well, that's where you know maybe things are turning around. Maybe the Mets are starting to figure it out and, and, and starting to you know look for undervalued assets. Are there any of those type of guys that are on the roster now that stand out to you? Yeah, so the one that kind of jumps out to me is I think Rajay Davis, just because he provides outfield depth. I think that's something that the Mets really need. I think it was a problem in recent years. Um, and I think that I, I looked at the Rajay Davis signing, which came before the Keon Broxton train. I thought, oh, we're going to have Rajay Davis as the um, as the fourth outfielder. And Rajay Davis, I think, is a really fast guy. I think he'd make for a very good um, like fourth outfielder slash pinch runner. Um, probably pinch hitter in a, in a if, if if the scenario arises as well. Um, so he kind of jumped out to me. I don't know what his role is necessarily now that Broxton is on the roster, um, but you know you still might see um, you still might see him up. Like say J D Davis is um, has minor league options, so maybe you'll see him up as a fifth outfielder or pinch runner or something like that with the team. So. Uh, I don't know. Maybe keep an eye on Rajay Davis. I just I like the signing when it happened. I probably like it a little bit less now that Keon Broxton is on the roster, but I still thought he was good. And um, and then you also mentioned Archimedes Caminero. Um, he's had kind of an interesting career, and I'm going to talk about him mostly because I really like his name. Archimedes Caminero is a hell of a name. Um, I think it's 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 kind of concerning the way that his peripherals has, has slipped in 2016. The way that he um, he was actually like a decent reliever for the first two years of his career. And then 20, 2016, his peripherals took a major hit. His strikeouts, some strikeouts uh, fell and his walks went up. Um, but I think that, you know, if, if – I think that there, there still could be like some value there because he did have a good season in 2015. Um, I think that that's kind of worth looking at as, in terms of a, having a middle reliever on the roster for cheap – if you think that he's going to come back and be like 2015 form, and the odds of that have, have decreased a lot seeing as he's 31 as opposed to 28 when he had his 2015 season, um, you know, maybe there's some, some room for him there. But most, most of the time I just see the Mets, I, I think most of the Mets minor league signings have just been depth, which is something that they have lacked for a very long time. That's why you had guys like Jack Reinheimer getting at bats for the Mets. Um, it's why you had guys like uh, Austin Jackson, the midseason signing. Yeah. Hi Kelly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, no, no offense meant to our fellow Metzmerized contributor, um, <laughs> but it's 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 no. a matter of <laughs> it's just a matter of having the kinds of having warm bodies who can play just in case everything falls apart. I think that's mostly what the Mets signings have been. I think that there could be value in a couple of them, but I'm not willing to say at this point. Yeah, I read Nair on a couple of weeks back, and he thinks the opener is going to be one of the big, I guess, stories when you talk about the progressive, you know, uh, advance, you want to call it a progressive advanced stats movement. I know everybody likes to talk mm-hmm. about shifts and whatnot, um, but the opener is something that, you know, even the Mets, as time goes on, I don't know if they'll employ it. I'm not quite sure what Dave Island and Mickey Calloway think about it. But you could make an argument with Seth Lugo and Gazelman in the, uh, you know, what, you know, on the roster that you can use them in that kind of role. And, and in some ways with, with Lugo, knowing that he has, you know, a partially torn UCL, you know, he might, it might make sense to kind of give him some certainty or, or build the, the bullpen from the start of the game to the back end. Uh, I, I don't see them doing it. 
Um, mm-hmm. But do you a do you agree? You know that might be the new uh, you know hot story of 2019, and and b do you see that as an option for the Mets right now with the cart rotation they have, assuming they don't go out and, and sign anybody? You know, even if it's the the days that Vargas starts. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think about um, most of the teams that are employing the opener are teams which have a very much a reduced starting rotation, um, whether by choice or whether they don't have a choice. Um, the Rays, as you know, are the team that kind of pioneered this the the opener. Um, and outside of um, Chris Archer and Blake Snell, it's kind of they didn't really have a lot of starting pitching depth. So kind of having an opener, um, bullpenning the the bullpenning every five days, stuff like that really kind of helped lessen the strain on their starting rotation. And, yeah, there is some value to doing that for the Mets, I would think, just because, you know, the Mets have have had issues with their starting rotation and injuries in previous years. Um, but I don't necessarily think that the Mets are going to be as so bold as to try to go after that because um, I think it's going to end up being something – I think the Mets are going to stick with the traditional starting rotation – Maybe they do something funny, funky with uh, with Vargas, but I don't really, I can't really see it at the moment. Um, so I think you know maybe the rest of baseball will start going that route eventually, just because we start looking at relievers as being cheaper than starting pitchers, and so we teams accumulate a bunch of those, and they just use the opener, they bullpen, whatnot. Um, but at the moment, I don't necessarily think it's going to be pervasive throughout baseball. I think you'll see the Rays and the Angels. I think the Angels are they're trying to use the opener next year as well. Um, they might be employing that strategy. Um, maybe you'll see a couple other analytically inclined teams experimenting with them themselves. Um, but at the moment, I really don't see it being something that like spreads like wildfire throughout baseball. People are still going to be talking about it, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be something that's big, and I don't think it's going to be something that's big for the Mets. So what do you got coming up? Obviously, we see your work over at Metsmarize Online. You get your own site, John, edwardstats.com, Sporting News, The Athletic. Well, what's up for you as we head into the uh, the uh, pitchers and catchers portion of the offseason coming, uh, you know, fast and furious right in front of us? Yeah, so I'm currently working on a – I'm doing a lot of personal projects at the moment right now. Uh, I'm working on a projection system. I published a projection system last year, and I was kind of happy with it. I think it turned out okay, but I think that there's a lot more work that I could do with it to improve it. So I'm working on improving that right now at the moment. Um, and it's mostly been the big project that's been occupying a lot of my time. So, yeah, if you uh, you can take a look out for that in, uh, in the coming, I want to say coming weeks, optimistically. Uh, but it'll probably be more like coming months. So, uh, yeah. John, you were generous with your time. Thanks so much, my friend. Let's do it again. Good stuff. Always enjoy reading your work, and I'm glad we finally got a chance to get you on the program. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. John Edwards, Metsmerized Online. John underscore Edwards underscore. Uh, good stuff. A different type of voice. You know, I'm trying to bring uh, different types of uh, minds to the show that provide some kind of thought process that. You know, quite honestly, that's not the way I grew up uh, watching the ball game, and 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 not the way that I'm I'm wired to look at baseball. So it always helps to kind of uh, get a different take. I think it makes the 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 uh, the show much more uh, much more fun, much more diverse, and gives you some other stuff to think about. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we wrap up, right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, 
then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com and get Metsmerized today. Final thoughts. I want to apologize to everybody for my voice a little under the weather this podcast, so I'm going to keep the remarks brief. I want to thank our buddy John Edwards, uh, John underscore Edwards underscore over at Metsmerized Online, the Sporting News, the Athletic. Of course, I want to thank the great folks over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and keep the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back. More Talking Mets podcast next week. Take care, everybody.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.